Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buenas mi gente, what is good? Machete y Mate back this week, slight different than our usual current events um, sort of format. Um, we're going back to sort of a comrade conversation. We did do the um, crossover with um, Hot Girl Agenda. That was more of a just a, you know, just a random chat, just a in-depth chat among friends. This is more an actual in-depth conversation with one of our good comrades. Um, if you haven't checked out our last episode, our last current events that we dropped a couple of days ago last week, who knows? Time is time is an illusion. Anyway, um, we talked about our interpretations, our perspectives of Chile's historic election um, last week or two weeks ago. Again, time is a folk. Um, but obviously, it was just three dickheads who are not Chilean talking about their perspective of the of what they think this represents. But today, we actually have a good comrade from Chile who's part of the movement who has really good in depth perspective on everything going on. We'll get to him in just a second. Um, but like I said, if you haven't checked out our last episode, check that out um, so you can hear us and then actually check out like someone who's actually has in-depth insight into what's going on. Um, I mentioned the Hot Girl Agenda collab that we did. Check that out. That was a lot of fun. Um, it really illuminated a lot of things. You know, we talked about a lot of the topics we like to talk about, like our diaspora experiences. Um, obviously, we have our Puerto Rican backgrounds. Uh, Jesse is... Um, the has the Chicano background, and then obviously Ra Ra from Guam and everything that um, she's gone through identity-wise there. Um, really interesting conversation. And again, if you support what we do, um, if you can, show yourself there on um, patreon.com slash machete mate. Um, you gain access to um, our book club. We just finished uh, discussing building the commune. We still haven't decided what we're going to um, be discussing next, but um, should be we'll have that chat and we'll get back to y'all. Um, you have access to our Discord community, where you just shoot the shit and share articles and have uh, fun conversations and stuff. Really, really, really good group of people. Um, what else? You get access to our After Dark. Again, it's just us three talking bullshit and just shooting the shit a bit more casual. And obviously, you'll be supporting you know, this labor of love, this project that we've come together to do to sort of raise awareness and just bring awareness to the topics that are going on in Latin America and the Global South in, in general. Um, also, shout out to our new Compas Oficiales um, who've come through in the last week. Um, one of them, the donation was actually in pounds. So the homies coming to us from the UK, apparently. So shout out to the homies in the UK, um, free Ireland, Ireland free forever. Um, and free Scotland as well. Um, but yeah, I'm Leroy coming to you from NARM in so-called Melbourne, Australia, um, with the homie as usual, Austin. It's, it's funny because today, He's sitting out, and we actually have Austin. Usually, it's the other way around if these things happen. But um, Austin, what's good, man? As I say, I'm glad to finally be here where uh, my brother T is not here, so I can talk as much uh, shit about him as I may please. Uh, <laughs> however, however, he knows I love him, so he's he's been pulling double duty on the podcast lately. So that's, I'll, that's I'll cut him some slack. But I am happy to be here and very happy to have this uh, conversation. Thanks, Levi. One hundred percent. And like I mentioned at the top, our comrade joining us today. Straight from Chile. Well, I think he's based in the U.S. now, but 
100% Chilean, chi 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 le le le. Diego, what's good, man? Um, good, good. Uh, I I'm I recently diagnosed of of COVID, so oh, in quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I I I I spread around with all my family here in San Diego, so <laughs> so we are having a, a nice holidays with with COVID and quarantine. <laughs> that's, that's happening wild. everywhere too. That's happening my, everywhere. My, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like so. I flew. I flew recently from New York to LA, uh, and Omicron like is getting into to the US through New York. So that's the place to get it. Basically, yeah. I, I was about to say my wife literally just tested positive for COVID. Like it's going around almost every Virginia just had its yeah. largest spike since the pandemic started. So it's. Very depressing yeah. Actually, I was seeing a map saying that I think Virginia is one of the states that has highest uh, rates of death. Uh, oh, yeah. By COVID, where, yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in yeah. my county, too. Hospitals are getting are overflowing. It's yeah, it's not. It's a uh -huh. very, very yeah. sad time. I mean, we hate the CDC. We yeah. hate the CDC. hundred <laughs> percent. And it, what's, what's, what's wild as do well. We, we do. That's true. I guess we, we have complicated feelings about the CDC. Let me put it that yeah. way. Okay. okay. We have complicated so, feelings. Yeah. Fauci is trapped in the neoliberal state. That's what it comes. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. And you know it's everywhere because I saw this thing that like they they um recorded the first case in New Zealand. So if you know if it's in New Zealand, the Omicron variant, you know it's everywhere. So yeah. So so I I had a talk with uh one of my friends in New York. He's uh, studying uh biology, microbiology, and. He was telling me that uh, Omicron is like four times more uh, contagious than normal, uh, but uh, more mild in terms of symptoms, which is something good, something, something yeah, bad. Some more infectious, but more mild. I know. So right. basically, we'll have it forever. That's nice. We'll have, we'll, we are we are in the regime of in a social reproduction regime of planetary emergency, COVID exactly. and climate change. That are the two Correct. biggest issues threatening our social reproduction. Exactly right. Exactly right. And regulating it. And regulating it also. 100%. So if, if I get time, I, I write that for new left review. But let's see if I get time there to write know. that. <laughs> I'll read Easy. it. Yeah, 100%. No, I know you read it. <laughs> anyway, um, with all of that in consideration, all the, you know, talking about climate crises, talking about neoliberalism, Diego, you're from Chile, oh. the, the birthplace of neoliberalism, like they say. Um, yeah. Before we get into it, like, can you just paint a picture for us of what comes to mind when you think of Chile? Like its people, the smells, the climate, everything. Like, you know, when you think of home, like paint a picture for people. Because I think most people have this idea that, you know, Chile on a map is this long country. There's mountains, kind of deserts, whatever. But you being from there, like what's like describe, you know, La Patria for us. Oh, La Patria for me, for you guys. I don't know. Everyday life, you know, Chetism. <laughs> That's how it feels. <laughs> Uh, um, no, uh, I don't know. It's hard to say because uh, the geography is so long yeah. from north to south that there is so many different weathers and that makes that the culture is quite different in the north, in Santiago, in the south and in the extreme south, in the Patagonia, where from where Boric is, for example, it's also another culture. Uh, so uh, it's quite variegated, I would say. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm a city boy. I'm from Santiago. I grew up in the in the suburbs of Santiago during the, the 90s. Uh, a lot of neoliberal urbanization, <laughs> suburbanization, maybe. Um, a lot of little houses, one 
uh, more similar to uh, the other one. But I don't know. I don't know. Like, also, I have been coming back and forth in Chile in the U.S. And when I'm in Chile, I try to not be in Santiago so much. So um, I say, I don't know. People, what you can feel in the, in the air, people, people is tired. People is tired of everything that have been struggling with in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, we have a really dark, sarcastic, deep, problematic sense of humor to deal with it yeah 100%. <laughs> so so we can get pretty dark about uh um, pretty sarcastic and and yeah we have high standards on memes exactly i guess like if, if someone if we if we get out of neoliberalism uh which i don't know what is that who knows what is non-neoliberal but Maybe socialism, but who knows? There we go. Uh, if we get out of that and, and and you ask to us how we cope with it, probably we'll answer with booze and memes. <laughs> and booze, I mean, like, not 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 booze, 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 like alcoholism and social media. That's booze, probably yeah. like mm-hmm. how we cope, yep. cope with it. <laughs> with Pisco. How I'm coping. 100%. Yeah, peace. Oh, there you go. Colid, hermano. Pisco. I don't know. This, this Dude, is Peruvian, to, though. We have to get together eventually and, and have some piscolas and do another podcast, but only in private. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, when I was, when I was in Peru, they definitely had pisco with everything. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> His face. Anyway, you said, you're from, you said you're from Santiago and then you're a city boy. Can you yeah. just talk about um your politics, where you're coming from, like why you're relevant to our podcast, like you're What's what's led you to this moment now? Like, what's your involvement with the movement and everything like that? So uh, I, I'm relevant to your podcast because uh, you should trust in Austin, Criteria, but <laughs> I cannot talk about that. Probably. But I know, talking seriously. So kind of like my political background comes from in my base. Like, it's kind of like uh, the family issue. My parents were in the uh, NYR, Left Revolutionary Movement, uh, in the 60s. That's the... Uh, Right, like the Guevarist party that rise in Chile, uh, unifying all what could be called the ultra left or the far left uh, beyond the Communist Party in the 60s. Yeah. And, uh, and was a unification of different Trotskyist, Maoist, and other kind of like more Guevarist, uh, which was the main branch of that. And so my parents. Uh, uh, were part of the MIR and and yeah, my father got in jail. Uh, he was a student leader uh, in in La Serena, which is a city like 400 kilometers north from Santiago. Mm. So and in that time, the the MIR was a party that uh, used to work underground. So only the public figures, you know, that they were part of the party and. In that being the case of my father, they didn't took so much time to cut him and put him in jail. So he did some time in Pisagua, which is a concentration camp uh, between December '73 and and August '74, something like that. Uh, and he did some time there. Uh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't get into what the kind of things that he lived and saw there, but yeah. Uh, actually, I don't know all, maybe like 78 percent. Uh, and then he got to exile and in Belgium, in Brussels. And oh, shit, he okay. met my mother. She got to exile in another way. 
granular pathway. And, and, then, uh, and then they went together to Cuba and get mm. training in the re return operation of the, of the MIR mm. to fight mm -hmm. against the dictatorship. Uh, my father was trained there uh, in, in, as a tactical scuba diving. Mm. Uh, my mom was trained in communication devices. Um, uh, well, my father also had another couple that also was part of the party and she went with them. And, and they, my sister, that is half sister, but it's basically we treat each other as, as siblings. Uh, she also stayed there and she also like and got into the foster care uh, in, in the Cuban system uh, while my parents and her mother were in training. Then my father did some time uh, in Nicaragua in the post guerrilla mm. after the Sandinillas won. Uh, and also then he did some uh, uh, cover-ups uh, uh, importing guns from Peru to Chile through the, through the coast in the border. Nice. Uh, yeah, so I have all that background uh, <laughs> in my family. So you can imagine that what were like my, my best stories were uh, the histories in the Sierra Maestra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In training, like, uh, like, I, uh, and like, and reading books of Che Guevara were like, in, with comic books of Che Guevara were my, my go to bed history. So that kind of like uh, <laughs> my background. And then kind of like my own personal background comes from the student movement. Um, in 2006, it was one of the, it was the second wave of a student revolt, second or third in the, during the post dictatorship. And, and there were massive riots in the first uh, uh, Bachelet government. Mm. And I had the duty of being the voice uh, speaker of my school uh, in, a, in a macro zone in, of Santiago, basically in the east, in the east part of Santiago. Uh, and yeah, and I, I, before that, I wanted to be an engineer. And because I, I was good in math and biology. Um, and then I realized that social issues were important for me and that I always have been like around that. Uh, so I decided to study uh, economics. Mm. And yeah, so I did my... Then I, I, I joined some like uh, broad fronts of, of left organizing. Uh, until I read Das Capital and I realized that I, I should join the Communist Party. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah, so I, I spent a lot of time during my college in the Communist Youth. And, and then when the big uprising, which in some extent is a generational issue, because when I was in my senior year in high school, uh, uh, we were the same generation that in our fifth year of college, like it's being senior in college, uh, we were in the massive student riots at, at higher education level, not in yeah. high school now. So it's basically the same generation mm -hmm. that went through the two student movement, uh, uh, the more amazing ones. And, and yeah, and then, then I, I, I did a master's degree and I get into research, I got into research and I, I was pretty stern about the theoretical frameworks I want to follow. So I went to Yuma Summers, which is kind of like the heterodox economics, Marxist, yeah, you can do Marxist economics, so it's a, it's a kind of a stronghold of ideological stronghold for the left around the world. Uh, and, and that led me to, in my studies there, I, 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 run it, I got into like uh, 
study a lot of economic history. So that is kind of like uh, what I do about Chile, but also I'm, I do development economics for more contemporary stuff. Um, it's kind of in terms of my research. Of course, I haven't been in the Communist Party for a while already. I got kicked out at some point. That's another history. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the original scene. If you haven't been the Communist Youth in Chile, you haven't been in the left. Uh, <laughs> and, and now I'm in, in another party that is a, a anarcho-communist organization that has more heterodox uh, uh, understandings of, 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 of the left and the, and the world. And, and I, I, we are not in such a good moment organically, near politically, but in terms of the discussion and the debate that we have, yeah. um, I think that uh, we have at least uh, providing capacities of self-reflection to the left that I think that in Chile are, we are lacking of. In, not only in Chile, it's kind of like a more general problem, but um, and that is Izquierda Libertaria in Spanish. Uh, that in English would sound like a uh, libertarian left, that it doesn't sound so appealing, but it would be yeah. like a, an arco like like a flat for liberation would be more the intention. Yeah. Of the, of the, uh, uh, it, it, I think maybe it could be like PSL, something like that, mm. Uh, mm. in terms of the name uh, and, the, and the kind of the program in some extent. Um, which, yeah, I, I don't know how much are the difference between the DSA and the PSL, but... <laughs> Who cares, actually? <laughs> I was say, that, that, now that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, yeah. Yo. Okay, we. I'm. 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 I'm taking some notes, guys. Here, like, how many podcasts are we going to do after this one? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say I would have you on every week if we could. But yo, yeah. Diego, I have so many. I have so many questions just off what you've just said there, and we can, once should again, be, should be, should be. And I was gonna say we go in a million different directions. So first of all. Like a simple question, I guess, uh, about, uh, about your background, right? You basically describe your background as like being like a red diaper baby for all intents and purposes. Did you always consider yourself like radical or like into left? Was there ever a point where you were like, oh, this is like being forced on me? Or were you like, no, hell yeah, I'm down with the no. revolution. This is beautiful. No, 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 not at all. Because also it's not that my parents, my parents, like in some extent, they, they share their, their experience and their heritage with me, mm. but but they never uh, imposed anything. Mm. They were pretty cool about that. Beautiful. Uh, although when you are from the Emir, from the family of the Emir, uh, in some extent you have a distrust in the Communist Party. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like broke that wall because there are just a few of people that actually are in the Communist Party or or have been in the Communist Party the, that have uh, parents from the Emir. Uh -huh. We're just, just a few of us because there's a lot of distrust on that. Uh, and actually, that is why I joined like more like a new a new left because that kind of like was the fashion in the 60s, you know, like build a new left. And in some extent, yeah, I got trapped in that trap, mm -hmm. <laughs> so to say. Uh, but yeah, no, no, my 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 parents, I my parents didn't post anything. Just they share a lot of their histories, and and my father became a journalist and a TV producer, mm. independent TV producer in the post dictatorship, and and he always was uh, uh, was working some like intel and some stuff related to uh, corruption made by the military in the post dictatorship. 
where, with Pinochet involved. So I had like a lot of like the anti-Pinochetista mindset there. Mm. And also my father never joined to the government ranks. So in some extent, he had autonomy of the people that in the post-dictatorship embraced the state. Uh-huh. Um, and on the other hand, my mom always stayed active in, in human rights activism. That is uh, kind of like the 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 structural pathway of yeah. people from the of the Mir and and some part of the Communist Party uh, because the backlash of the dictatorship. So. Uh, and, and so I have like those two examples in my life. My father, kind of like intelligence guy in journalism, and my mom, human rights activist. Yo, that is super, super interesting. And the reason I ask is because like, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast in the past, right? Like I grew up not only very detached from like my own like Puerto Rican ancestry, but also like I grew up with mostly like apolitical, if not like catholic conservative parents so i always like i'm so interested to hear about like exactly i'm always interested to hear the exact opposite experience but anyways but even but my parents were like super right-wing but you know what i mean but yo so going back on on what you were just mentioning about you know the the party you organize with right izquierda libertaria right um how do they how do they relate to uh aparebo dignidad and chile digno they're they're a part of chile digno if i'm not mistaken right or i could be completely yeah. wrong what what is that relationship look so like? izquierda libertaria is a, an organization that um so its roots are in the in the in the beginning of the millennium uh so is is the is the outcome of the uh, convergence of all the of the anarcho communist congress all the anarcho-communist organizations are organized. And then it rise uh, the, the communist libertarian organization and the uh, and, and Students for Liberation Front, uh, Frente Estudiantes Libertarios. Yeah. Um, when that was the setting of the organization, I was in the communist youth at that point. <laughs> mm. and, and also that is one of the two phases of the new left arising in the student movement. Uh, that was one and the other was the, the autonomista movement. Uh, that, that is the is where Gabriel Boric came from. Um, and this was in 2006? Uh, yeah, even before, in the 2000s. Uh, uh-huh. So uh, in those times, those were the two main alternatives to the communist youth at the left of the communist youth. And there were also more some stuff at the right, but with a new face that was uh, called New Left, actually. Um, so in the student movement, in some extent, there was this space of socialization and competition between organizations, political organizations, trying to uh, compete against the Communist Party with an alternative of youth organizing. Um, and in some extent, is where the, the, the Frente Amplio rise yeah. from. Alongside the student mobilizations, mm-hmm. uh, and so after that, Izquierda Libertaria uh, at some point um, uh, have an important up- upswing. Uh, it wins the student union of the Universidad de Chile. Uh, that is, a, it was a big thing. Uh, Camila Vallejo and, yeah. and Gabriel Boric were presidents of, of, of the student union. Um, and and also and after that it, it doesn't have the capacity of, of sustain itself as an organization with uh, an inorganic growth and 
And then it has like ups and downs, and then it joins uh, the Frente Amplio and Convergencia Social in particular, which is Boric Party, to form a new left party uh, with a socialist uh, horizon. And what happened is that in the social revolt, then happened in 2019, is that, uh, and after that, there is a, an agreement that was signed, the agreement for peace that was signed by uh, by part of the broad front, uh, most of the broad front, non the Communist Party and every other party of the political establishment. And then Izquierda Libertaria decides that uh, it doesn't agree neither with the mechanisms that allow Boric to sign that agreement um, and neither with the decision of signing it uh, to begin with. And then the organization get out of the Frente Amplio and join the coalition mm. of the Communist Party. So what is important there is that the Communist Party have been in, in the in coalition with the center left before, but the social revolt uh, mm. changed the balance of forces within the Communist Party, yeah. making Jadwe to take the leading figure of the party in some, uh, at least at the, as its public face, and that makes a twist of the Communist Party towards the left. That's really and and in that in that in that shift, uh, Izquierda Libertaria get out of the of the Frente Amplio and joins Chile Digno as one of the satellite, uh, which is the coalition of the Communist Party, yeah. uh, with many leftist satellite satellite organizations around the Communist Party. And so basically, now a Prueba Dignidad is a coalition of two sub coalitions: uh, gotcha. the Communist Party with Chile Digno. And the Frente Amplio, which there are many organizations there, uh, Convergencia Social, that is Gabriel Boric organization, and Revolución Democrática, and, and some others. Yeah. So basically, we have like coalitions of coalitions. It's, uh, the fragmentation of politics is helpful, <laughs> but it's what we have. No, that's that's super fascinating. And what's, so this is something that I, I don't know. It's a pain in the ass also. I, I believe it. Imagine, I believe yeah. it. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, much, but it's I, interesting. It's as I say, it's better than the United States where it's just two giant uh, parties that basically agree on like everything. Anyways, so Australia. like what I was going <laughs> to Yeah, there you go. What I was going to say was I, I, I think sometimes people in the United States, when they look at what's happened in Chile, they don't always appreciate kind of the things that you just mentioned, right? How important the most recent social revolt, is, revolt as you refer to it, right? kind of resulted in like a, a political realignment in some different ways as far as parties of the left w within Chile, right? Like I like as far as the the signing of the agreement to like end the protests and how that like bolstered the profile of the Communist Party of Chile. And it's so fascinating to me hearing you describe how that led to the the formation of Chile Digno itself within Apruebo Dignidad, right? I'm so curious though. And I could, oh my goodness. So once again, there's a million different roads we could go down here right i'm curious like thinking about the social revolt and the role that like students have kind of played into it i was wondering if you could go into a little bit uh, about the social revolt itself right like well like i'm curious and and we talked about this off the air a while ago i'm curious did it take you by surprise like were you surprised to see it re result in this giant demand to destroy the constitute or to rewrite the constitution and all this other stuff. Like, did you, like being somebody who was a part of the student movement in the mid two thousands, did you expect this evolution? Like, yeah. Or, or was it a total surprise to, to you even? So, uh, I feel like the, the answer to that is contradictory itself because sure. it's something that we didn't expect 
but it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's like we were in a moment that the left were had a lot of space to actually uh, cast doubt on the government, but wasn't doing it. And suddenly the people takes, uh, the lean, the like everyday life people takes the leading role of the political scenario. And what that is what is the most important thing that uh, to, exactly. to highlight. And, yeah. and, 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 and to be honest, the new constitutional process, in, in, in my understanding, is more uh, a way of, re- of the elite representing and the left that is not so embedded in the everyday life of the, of the vast majority of the people to, re- to interpret it and give a pathway, uh, a political pathway to solve the problem. Uh, because the revolt, it wasn't like uh, it, it was a revolt without organicity, you know, like uh, it wasn't an organic revolt. It was just like a, a big social explosion that in the movement, it got organization and got like uh, a lot of, uh, in some extent, like uh, mass action experience where people thrive, uh, learning how to fight with the police in the streets, learning uh, mass action like like the students did. Uh, actually, we had in some extent uh, a movement that was a student movement that was fading out because the neoliberal reforms made in the second Bachelet government, uh, um, that is the government that the when the Communist Party joined the neoliberal coalition in Chile, the progressive neoliberals, uh, which by the way was the moment when I got kicked out of the Communist Party because I, oh, <laughs> I was in opposition within the party. To, 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 to make that move. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so actually the, the big conflict in education in terms of like uh, student debt uh, rising and student debt haven't been cancelled, but uh, uh, in that government there was a huge subsidy to get free tuition. So basically now 90%, if you are like in the 90% bottom percent of the population, you'll get free tuition in some way. Um, so there was an important effort. And what is tricky is that that didn't happen uh, through the mechanisms as we as to a movement were demanding for. Because one, the, neo, the, the non-neoliberal way to do it would be to give funds directly to the university and they get you free tuition regardless if you are, uh, regardless of your income, no? Um, but what they did in terms of... Uh, in, in the focalizing uh, governmentality, Foucault would say, <laughs> of, of neoliberalism, uh, is is to f- uh, focalize resources. No, and so only will get the for the ninety percent. And there is a lot of private that were former profit-driven universities that are, in some extent, uh, profit-driven anyway. They they got to have uh, free tuition for their students as well. So that, in some extent, solved close the conflict uh, and. And the student movement got some momentum after through the feminist movement uh, with, with uh, this kind of like uh, important uh, uprising of, of female students, uh, uh, bringing down professors that were harassers uh, and, and in some extent like trying to institutionalize stuff that have happened in the US like Title IX yeah. Institutions are something that exists way long, way long back here in the U.S. If I'm not wrong, those kind of stuff didn't exist in until recently because the the feminist wave. 
And then the student movement after that was kind of like fading away, kind of like the, 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 in some extent, a lot of identity politics going on. And all of the sudden, the, the high, high school students do that massive riot uh, mm -hmm. to, to protest against uh, a rise on the fair of the, of the public transportation in Santiago. Yeah. Uh, and and then shit hit the fan. One, <laughs> one thing lead to another. And <laughs> were you in Santiago when this happened? Actually, I wasn't. I was in the in the countryside because ah. I was working on my in, on my study for uh, some stuff of my dissertation. I see. For a comprehensive exam at my at my dad's house that he's living with with his with his couple. And we were seeing the riots on TV, and I was like, "No, no, I'm going to Santiago, my car. Okay, <laughs> you wanna go take the bus because I'm not, I'm not going to give you my car. So we get fucking destroyed in the city." Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say that that's amazing. Um, but before I yeah, ask so, another... so sorry, so go ahead. I joined some of the protests, local protests there in the town I was, and then I then I came back to the city, and yeah, I I, I was part of the movement for like not in the first two weeks, but in the mm. in the in the more intense last two weeks I was. That's amazing. And, and before I ask another question here, Leroy, I think I saw you uh, were going to say something. Yeah. My question is more big picture. So if you have something more relevant immediately, go ahead. Otherwise. Uh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is, I guess, both relevant and like big picture and like Diego, like obviously I don't expect you to have like all the answers here, but I, I get to, like, to me, one of the most interesting things to do is to talk about what you were uh, kind of touching upon there, Diego, as far as like, translating organic social revolt into like organizational something organizational that can actually like help bring bring about change right and i look at the example of chile right They're turning this social revolt into a movement to to change the constitution and now like the election of gabriel boric and obviously there's a lot of different layers and nuances there but i contrast that to what was going on in the united states at, at basically around the same time right you know you mentioned just yourself how you you know you had to make it to to santiago when you saw the protest here in in virginia right after you know the killing of george floyd and we talked about this on the podcast at the time a year ago there was massive social revolt all across the united states right but I look at the United States and I look at a place that was not able to effectively translate that into more demands for more systemic changes or more actual organizational movement. And maybe that's Rick, just my cynical Rick perspective. Puerto Rico as well. Yeah, Ricky Renuncia in Puerto Rico is another good one, right? Where like there wasn't really a way to translate it into like an actual like systemic demand or whatever. So I'm curious in your perspective, Diego, like do you think in Chile people have been more successful in translating that organic social revolt into more systemic change? Or do you even see where in Chile there is still, uh, I don't know, even like missed opportunities to do to do more? I don't know. Once again, I, I don't know if that makes sense as a question. But once again, I think in my head... Oh, it, how, totally, how, it totally makes yeah. sense. I think like, I, I think like there, are, there are different ways of actually approaching that. Uh, I think like one in terms of comparison is, is uh, that is basic is the problem of scale. Like Chile is a country of 18 million people. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's like it's like one state in the US. Uh -huh. sure. So it, it, it would be like if one state have the autonomy to be the, uh, to be a country by itself, surely organizing will be way easier. Absolutely. Uh, if that will happen. Uh, but beside that, uh, um, okay, that scale is one issue. Uh, the other is that actually. Um, you, you in the like in terms of in politics, you all, always have lost chances. 
Sure. Like there is always in terms of like, uh, and it all depends on the balance of forces, no? Yeah. Um, of how, because it's not only about how much you are organized, rather than also what is the organization of the enemy, no? Or, or the or, or, of the rival in the political arena. And, and in Chile, we need to, in some extent, yeah, uh, get to some sort of agreements in the left so we can actually stop fight among each other and I start to see the big picture in the global arena. And that is kind of like the aim you have. But in, in the US, in some extent, you are the global arena. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the organization is that, is that you are facing is the organization that a state in the global south is facing. Sure. So, yeah, I don't know. It's tricky to compare. It's tricky to compare. And, 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 and also uh, there is a discipline ideologically and also by by the power of, of, of war and the and the car industrialization in the Keynesian welfare state in the US that so the American dream yeah it was a a, a big buyout for people and mm-hmm. and and that that kind of like uh I don't know ideological landscape it remains and until today actually that's the discussion how we recover the American dream and so on and so forth. Uh, on my understanding, on, on my opinion, I think like uh, we need more James Baldwin. <laughs> there was never in the US, we need more James Baldwin. We, there was never an American dream for the black community here mm-hmm. and for people of color in general. So, and that is something important, I think. No, one million percent. Totally agree. And once again, I appreciate your perspective here as a Chilean radical. Once again, just to, to give that sort of a view. But yeah, Leroy, I'll pass it back over to you. No, 100%. And you, you talked a little bit about the recent history of what's going on in Chile, the protests, the, orga- the political organization of other parties and stuff. But I think most of us who are not Chilean, who are on the left, who think of Chile, like it, at least personally, it, it seems unfathomable that there would be anything remotely left existing in Chile after what we know about like the, the dictatorship with Pinochet and everything from the very beginning. Can you just talk a little bit about, about that, about where Chile has come from the beginning of the dictatorship to when Pinochet was out of power, quote, out of power to today? Like, how was it that there was a left movement that sort of persevered or a left movement that sort of sprung out? Like, can you just give us a bit of context to historically over the last 50 years what led to this moment? Okay, so I think like that is the, if we if we need to recall that, that is the history of the Communist Party in the in the last 30 years in some extent. Because um, when the post-dictatorship happened, the process of transition to democracy, the Communist Party was just detaching of its arm, armed, like armed arm of the uh, the Frente Patriotico Manuel Rodriguez that yeah. was trying to bring Pinochet by arms, down of, uh, bring down Pinochet from power uh, through arm struggle. Uh, under like, and it's not, that wasn't no huge leftist idea is something that is in the American constitution, the, legitima, the, yeah. the legitimate defense of the people against tyranny, no? Yeah, right. Uh, and, and, and the MIR, the MIR, the MYR, uh, left revolutionary movement also was in that process. And that, that, that party died. Like it got this completely, uh, disarticulated, um, and the Communist Party remained, and then the Berlin Wall falls. So the Communist Party get into a process of uh, organic 
enclosure uh -huh, that of non of, of a, a lot of identity politics of being communist yeah. of resistance against the dictatorship fighting the narrative that the dictatorship didn't came back because people went to vote in a referendum rather than it was a struggle of destabilization of the dictatorship uh, in every way of struggle that was possible. And, and of course, the, the human rights politics. Mm -hmm. That was a way where a lot of people that came from the, uh, uh, from the mid and people from the Communist Party uh, were in the, in the struggle to find the people that was disappeared by the dictatorship people that was executed, people that was tortured, and like my father, for example, and, and the state never acknowledged those violations, the massive violations to human rights. And that was kind of like the, uh, that combination of uh, human right politics, defense of human right politics with uh, ideological enclosure in, in communism. We are communists and whatever happened in the world, we don't care, we are from the Communist Party and so on and so on. That allow an ideological resistance, uh, and that lasts through the nineties, and and explain the reorganizing of the student movement in its first way uh, that happened in the nineties. Uh, in some extent, asking for differential tuition in terms of payment, and and more like soft credits and easy access to pay for for tuition and that kind of stuff. And those struggles were led by the reconstruction of the student movement by the Communist Party and the Communist Youth in particular. And that is the first wave of student mobilization that is more narrow. Mm. And then the second wave of student mobilization is 2001 with the mochilazo, that mochila is backpack. Yeah. Mm. So <laughs> uh, it was called when like the backpack aso, when like all <laughs> the high school students uh, went to, to riot, actually, because increase of fare of transportation. And, and in some extent, that was the second wave. And that happened just after the Asian crisis. So uh, some interpretations that I haven't proven this historically, but some interpretations that we have discussed with comrades in the left is that uh, the empowerment of the people after the Asian crisis, uh, because we have a really important growth and rise of wages and get, people getting out of poverty after the, in the post-dictatorship from the 90 onwards. But the Asian crisis actually stagnated wages. And... And, a lot of, and you had a generation that was disciplined by the dictatorship so hard as in Chile happened. Uh, it was the kids of those parents that start to get out to the streets, not the parents. Uh -huh. uh, the people that mobilized was only some people that was, was attached to human rights politics. It was all the social mobilization. So, and that is kind of like the, the process of generational uh, uh, renewal that came from the student movement. And, and I will say that it comes from the student movement because of two reasons. Because we have, our parents have been too disciplined by the dictatorship and the state terrorism. And on the other hand, because the neoliberal orientation of public policy in Chile provide us uh, a promise of education that was uh, of open access for everyone if you could pay it or get in debt to it. So... And that, when then people start to graduate and become aware that, okay, first this education is shitty and I'm getting in tons of debt, so I'm going to mobilize as I'm a student. And then when I graduate and I, and I go to the job market, I see that my, my credentials are, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shitty, I don't have a good job, and I don't have a good wage, or, or if I have a good wage, I don't have good labor conditions. 
that also happens. Like uh, I don't have a, a contract or, some, or so on and so forth. Um, so in some extent, the need of organizing haven't stopped since you get, got into college. <laughs> and, and that explains why we have like the, the situation we have right now. Of, and also explain why we have such a young president elected. Because yeah. he's, he's, he represents uh, 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 the lead of organizing in, through the student movement. Yo, that is so fascinating, and that's a perfect segue here. So first of all, once again, it's really interesting to hear like what level uh, the Communist Party of Chile has had in, in the last, you know, as you say, few decades in Chile and kind of like building up to this moment and students, obviously, and their work with students. That's incredible. Um, but talking about y your old friend Gabriel, right? Obviously, there was an election in Chile that everybody's talking about, right? Really? Were, are you? Are you? So, Diego, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Like, as we were heading into it, like, what were you thinking as far as like Boric and and cast? And I know things kind of got like weird toward the end there, and then Boric obviously ended up winning by like ten points. What are your What was your thoughts going into the election? What What are your expectations for for a Boric presidency, broadly speaking? Oh, expectations. I feel like uh, so there is it, it's so hard because like. Uh, in some extent, um, yeah, I think like my way of not only seeing politics rather than seeing life in a healthy way is not having expectations. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Yes. And, <laughs> and also, uh, yeah, in some extent, there is, there is a, in, in Gabriel, there is a, a lot of renewal of the left. And there is a lot of uh, space for opening new ideas that the Communist Party never would have been tensioned to renew itself if it wouldn't be because a figure like Gabriel. So that is kind of the good thing. But the bad thing is that uh, that he doesn't, uh, or, the, or the Frente Amplio, the broad front, they don't have like a, they are, they, they are not ashamed of actually uh, making alliances with the, with the, with the center left and the, the neoliberal progressive coalition. Um, which at this point of life, I don't know if, if that's bad <laughs> because also it's like, we are like basically people that is getting into power are my friends from college. Like, I don't know if we are in, in, in capacity to, to lead a country. Uh, so maybe we need a, a little help for parts, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That is tricky. Uh, what, what I, so, but there are some social issues that are urgencies in Chile. Like, um, for example, uh, wages are stagnating from a long time ago, and and we need urgently uh, uh, a way of how to solve the social reproduction crisis that everyday life people is going through. Yeah, um, we need to strengthen the working class urgently. Otherwise, uh, new ways to promise more strength to the working class as faces promise can arise again. So to some extent, I feel like this conflict of a neo-Pinochetist, neo-fascist uh, candidate in a Bolsonaro fashion. But, but what is important is that, is that the particularities of Chilean fascism is that it rises alongside a market fundamentalist regula regulatory landscape, no? Exactly. Uh, the coup in Brazil was a restoration of industrialization through a... a, a in, I'm talking about the coup in 64. Uh, a restoration of an authoritarian bureaucratic government, 
not a neoliberal fundamentalist neoliberal world. Exactly right. So that are like in terms of the particularities of neoliberalization processes in Latin America, those are key distinctions. Uh, so this is the rise of caste as a new figure. Uh, yeah, it was threatening. I was stressing, and actually, immaterially for life, I can stay in the U.S. and I could care a shit, you know. <laughs> but like, and and if I would be selfish and being selfish only concerning about my parents, that's enough for being scared of like because just like the mental health of having someone that is uh, summoning the spirit of Pinochet and showing it to my parents' face, that that's good enough to convince me about mobilize and that 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 gets me to a selfish place and and I, I and also I, I have a whole background on like an habit of organizing and voting and that kind of stuff. So I'm talking from the core issues that anyone can be mobilized, you know, yeah. and and that uh, and then you can add all the diversity issues, people that, that he threatened like uh, rights of women rights and 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 diversity, sexual diversity, dissidence rights, and so on and so forth. Um, and what I think is good is that actually we had uh, uh, a good response and the uh, difference in voting between the first round and the second round. It was massive. Yeah. So that shows that, in some extent, that the left uh, has a power of organization and voting in, in that is, is a core that should be around the, I don't know, 20% of the whole electorate vote. But we have capacities to convince and join people that, that we can be more than that. Um, and actually, this voting, regardless that the participation wasn't so high, uh, there was a huge turnout. And the, the the participation rates in Chile in terms of electoral participation was going down, and this was a, a shift in the in the trend. So unexpected, actually. Yeah, you see, no, that's that's super amazing, right? And like, I'm and obviously fuck cast, right? We're happy he lost. That's good. Um, Diego's parents can live happy lives under the Boric presidency, right? Um, but yo, I'm speaking once again about the Boric presidency, and I and once again, I'd also love to talk about the Constitution and all that, and we'll, we'll get into that as well. But like, yeah. I'm I'm curious. You mentioned right the the nature of the coalition, right, and how Frente Amplio, you know, maybe is more willing to work with like the center left, as you describe it, um, as opposed to Chile Digno, right? I'm curious, like, how important, like. How do you do you see the coalition, Apro Big Dignidad, in your mind, staying together through the Boric presidency, or do you think I there could so. come a moat? Exactly, I hope so too. Do you I think hope there could, so, but but I I I feel like what is coming now in terms of what is in the Bolivian landscape uh, is absolute uncertainty, and I think like that is is something that we should operate in the left always, uh, and it's not a leftist idea; it's a Keynes idea, like. Uh, the war is made of absolute uncertainties. So instead of have like uh, operate uh, with absolute certainties and beliefs of what's going to happen, we should like be have a position in the left of of have less certainties and be more self self reflective, you know, yes. and in some extent prepare ourselves to face uncertainty and have collective learning. Yes. And I think yeah. like at this point of the of, of the struggle, like. Uh, uh, if we can achieve that, I think that we can save our asses of climate change. Otherwise, we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so what what I'm expecting, what I'm expecting, what is that? I think like the minimum what we need to actually face that uncertainty is to consolidate the popular support. 
-hmm. And to do that is absolutely necessary because it's an emergency to raise minimum wage uh, as soon as possible. Uh, but the problem for that, of doing that, is there is a lot of employment in Chile that takes place in, in, in small companies that not necessarily can face a, an important rise of, of minimum wage. Sure. So what have been discussed in, I'm an economist, so what have been discussed is that like the first operation should be flood the a small entrepreneurship with credit, with credit subsidized by the state, by the state bank. And then have a more gradual rise of the of the minimum wage. And in in Gabriel Boric's program is like right now the minimum wage will be three hundred fifty thousand pesos, uh, which is something like five hundred dollars. And it should go up at the end of Gabriel's uh, government to five hundred thousand pesos. That is around like seven hundred dollars. So it's a, it's, a, it's it's not little, you know. Uh, considering that actually it have risen. Kind of like it will be close to fifty percent of what have risen in the whole post dictatorship wow. in just four years. So it is it, it, like it's the big commitment I feel that Gabriel's government have, and if they don't, if like the government don't deliver on that, I feel that the left will be in big trolls. Mm, interesting. But I, I, I uh, George Jackson, who probably will is going to be the he's from Revolution Democratica uh, and. It's kind of like Boric, uh, love affair, bromance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably he'll be uh, interior, like Ministro del Interior, which is like some of like uh, Secretary of State. Yeah. Um, and he said that it was going to be the first measure of the government. So I'm, I'm pretty hopeful about it. No, that's, that is, once again, super interesting. And, like, this is the sort of stuff that, like, I go to you, Diego, to learn the particulars about what exactly uh, is going on in Chile, right? I'm So, once again, I talked – we touched upon a little bit about the uh, Constitution. That's And, once again, we could talk about Borch literally for hours, just like we could talk about the Constitution literally for hours. But I do want to spend some time on the Constitution, right? We, similarly to the Borch presidency, right? Like where, what is the current status of the process of the redrawing of the constitution, right? When should we be expecting there to be some sort of document for Chileans to, to vote upon sometime next year or, or where, where, what does that process look like? And, and also what are your expectations? Do you think it'll be a good document? Like all, all that. Stuff. So uh, it cannot be worse. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. uh, like, probably maybe someone that is hearing and doesn't know it, um, the Chilean constitution was imposed by uh, Pinochet in the 80s uh, mm -hmm. as a way of consolidating his power in the dictatorship. It was written by Jaime Guzman, that was a, a constitutional uh, lawyer um, that actually was uh, where, where the faces roots of his thoughts are. Is that he's uh, he's in, in and this is in the Catholic University, the school of, of law there, that they study natural law. So the understanding of law is that uh, law is the crystallization of the natural ruling of God. <laughs> so, so and they frame a constitution in that way, and so it's the perfect articulation of of fascism and neoliberalism. <laughs> And so, like, in some extent, like, free market is natural and God is natural. So, neoconservatism, uh, 101, in some extent. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, so it cannot be worse. Yeah. And on top of that, <laughs> on top of that, I mean, we never have it could, be, it could be the U.S. Constitution. 
It could be that bad. <laughs> yeah, if 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 you take out the Thirteen Amendment, I cipher it. <laughs> um, and that's one thing. And the other is that actually all the revolts that have led to a constitutional uh, 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 an attempt of writing a new constitution in Chile always have had a violent backlash by, by the state. Mm-hmm. That happened, actually, the, the Constitution of 25 was imposed by the elite, uh, the capitalist elite, and the landlords, that, mm. that time was predominantly agrarian society in Chile, uh, as a response to a, to a constitutional assembly that was formed by the popular, by the people. Uh-huh. Mm. So, so in some extent, we have a fetish with having a new constitution writing democracy, not only because the dictatorship imposed a neoliberal one on us, rather than also because it always has been an attempt in Chilean revolts to write a new constitution. And, and, and in some extent, this is the opportunity for that to happen. So in terms of how that process is going, I think um, it had been like the biggest mistake of the left for me on all this political situation have been to get into a new constitution process but at the same time, sustain the traditional electoral can- calendar mm-hmm. and a schedule. Because that first was a pain in the ass for every Chilean. We have been voting one and another time for the last, last two months without stopping. Like the last two years, like, and amidst a pandemic also. So yeah. you can imagine the, the, the emotional stress of everyone mm-hmm. with a neo-fascist candidate rising as well. So, yeah, so... But I think uh, that is my complaint as a citizen. In terms of as a leftist militant, my complaint is that that haven't that wasn't thought well thought in terms in strategical terms. Uh-huh. That the voids between one election and another will give and the experience of losing as as the right wing lost in the in the in the mm-hmm. in the constitution uh, assemblies uh, elections and so on by a landslide. They lost like by a landslide. Within, or the, the the more like the elite on the left didn't consider uh, the possibilities of the right wing to rearticulate itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in. Mm-hmm. So, which is kind of, in some extent, uh, far away of how other new constitutional process happened in Latin America that broke with the traditional uh, electoral schedule and and didn't open the gates for the right wing to rearticulate itself so so easily. Mm-hmm. So I think like those, there are mistakes there. But uh, anyway, we got out of it. And what is coming now is that now there is a, a the, 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 the first part of the new constitution was about writing the normative of how it was going to work, how the discussions were going to be established, uh, what was majority and everything, all those kind of normative stuff. And what is happening now is that all the is being open for popular participation. So if you gather a certain amount of firms, you can present uh, uh, proposals for the new constitution from the grassroots. So in right now we are in that process. So um, and now there, we are getting to that process is going to be closed, and there is going to be elected a new president of the of the of the convention. And and then they they will will start to get to the hardcore part of it, you know. Like it's, it's okay, we have all these proposals, we have all this, and 
now the political alignment is going to start and see like this is going to be and so on and so forth. So if I'm not wrong, it's at the end of the 2023 that will be a referendum of exit mm. hmm? to approve or not the new constitution. And uh, what will be the challenge for the left there and the uncertainty of that election is that the vote will be mandatory mm. and not voluntary. Interesting. So in, in the former election, uh, only 57, 58% of the electoral population participated, which was really high relative to previous elections in Chile. Uh, because to some extent, neoliberalism have void democracy of like with people not interesting, right? Um, and yeah, we'll see that it, like how you how you manage that. There is a I don't know 30, 35 percent of the electoral population that never have voted in any election. So like everything can happen. So yeah. all the the scenario is absolutely open. Yeah. So. Um... That's really fascinating. And here on the show, we, we love we love a good constitution. We love talking about constitutions. We've done a couple of deep dives on the um, Bolivian uh, constitution that was rewritten, the Bolivarian constitution of Venezuela. Do you do you get any sense that like those documents are being looked at or analyzed in any in any way, shape, or form by the left in, in Chile, or is this sort of definitely. like definitely, definitely, definitely? So the 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 fix for integration of, of, of native populations is in the plurinational state. That's exactly where I was going. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that is there. So my concern is that the experience of the left with plurinational state haven't solved any native problems in Latin America, but mm. <laughs> it's a place to start. It's a place exactly. to start. Because exactly. I don't look know, at Ecuador. Because, yeah. And, and look at Bolivia, like also... In Bolivia, it had been more a massive integrational process to capitalist development by native people that weren't integrated to capitalism mm -hmm. before, which, yeah, then you can argue. That is a good thing. That's a bad thing. That op definitely opens new politics um, and, more so and more working class politics also. But also it has contradictions. And that's why the mass at some point got weakened, no? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and like uh, and in the Mapuche, which is the biggest native community in Chile, um, there are there are important divides because uh, mm -hmm. there is a armed conflict between the cap uh, uh, forestry capitalists and some Mapuche communities that are fighting in arms, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they are like more radicals and they don't believe in the new constitution as a sol as a solution. Um, and yeah, there are more progressive ones that are part of the process. And so we'll see what happens. And also what Gabriel Boric, in terms of uh, trying to solve the conflict and not, not using violence to respond violence either from the forestries or the Mapuches in the South, will be really important in how this process can be articulated between institutional and non-institutional processes. No, yeah, that's super fascinating, super fascinating. And once again, I, like I said, for the millionth time, I know we could talk about all of this for hours and hours and hours. But once again, I don't, don't want to take up too much of your time, but there is one last kind of like thing I wanted to, to ask broadly, which is what do you think Chile looks like in the future, right? Like do you, now that Borch has been elected president, 
now, as you mentioned, there's going to be a document probably to vote on at some point in, in late 2023, as you as you say. Do you think like look, looking at this decade for Chile? Right. Do you I are you optimistic? Right. And once again, as you say, the best way to uh, not let yourself down is to have zero expectations. Right. And I totally agree <laughs> with that. But once again, broadly, what, what do you see in this decade for Chile? I, I don't know if like I'm I'm sure about it because I'm 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 afraid that we can we can lose this process. But in some extent, uh, uh, I'm not so convinced that we have to go through stages of struggle. But that is in some extent the belief of the left. So I cannot do anything about it. Sure. That being said, uh, I hope that we close this process of with a government that doesn't give the government to the right wing again. That, that, that would be important, that there is continuity with the next government of Aprilia Dignidad, uh, that corruption is not a big issue in the government. That is important because people is pretty tired of it. And with social media, it's so easy to see it now. And, those sorts of, and that we get a new constitution, whatever it is. And actually, if it's a constitution that actually... And then the process of actually what is going to be the normative and the law around that constitution interpretations, and there will be a whole wave of struggles. Mm -hmm. So in some extent, I believe that there could be differential path between this big alliance that we have between the center-left and the left. Uh, then the center-left probably is going to devote about the interpretations of the law. Mm -hmm. And the left actually will say, okay, now we actually have a democracy. We can fight for socialism from now onwards. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of like where I would like things to go, that we can finish all this uh, tiring, stressing process. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I almost went to my French, but... <laughs> yeah. uh, but and, and close that stage of, of, of Chilean politics and, and, and move towards a, a new one. That's that's what what I'm, I'm hoping for. I'm not being trapped in this post a transition to democracy, never ending yeah. transition to democracy. Yeah, 100%. And I think we'll um, wrap it up um, here. But before I have like, just one final question. So obviously one of the topics that we always talk about on this show is, you know, because the three of us, um, me, Austin, and his brother, T, we're of, we're of Puerto Rican descent. Well, we grew up outside of Puerto Rico, right? I grew up in a very big Puerto Rican community in Florida. They didn't. So our experiences are always different. So it's always fascinating talking about those things. I live in Australia now that has a massive Chilean population. So if, if you meet a Spanish speaker, if you meet a Latin American in Australia, chances are they're, 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 they're Chilean. And if they're like our age, it was their parents that came when they were young, for the most part, escaped the, the dictatorship. The ones our age are a little bit more apolitical just because they grew up in Australia. They grew, grew up in relative comfort here, whatever. My question is, um, what role has the Chilean diaspora played in this entire process? And what role do you think it should play? And I think um, if you can extend that to just diasporas in, in general, like in any sort of political process in your, in your, in your opinion. Okay. So that's an interesting question because I'm, I'm, I'm from Palestinian ascendances. So, so actually I, I've been, I've been doing some reading about uh, what you can do from abroad. Um, so in terms of what role have the Chilean citizenship uh, have from, from abroad uh, to begin with, the 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 vote uh, I, one of the uh, 
the locks that the, the, the dictatorship heritage to us was that people abroad couldn't vote because they knew that that uh, that were mostly excited people. So why would you let them vote? <laughs> you <Exactly>. kick them out. <laughs> uh, so that was a reform that happened in the post-dictatorial period. Actually, not so early, actually, in the late post-dictatorial so, and the votes have been pretty favorable uh, for the left, which, uh, and that reflects a lot of what you were talking about. Um, I, I have engaged in that in the U.S. a little bit. Uh, and there's a, a, an important diaspora from Chile as, as in, in, with two main factors, the dictatorship and the death crisis in 82, when a lot of people flew out mm-hmm. Uh, as political refugees when actually they were economic refugees. Um, and yeah, I feel like uh, if 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 uh, the government, if there is a left government, should devote to expand the civil rights of people abroad and also use the embassy as a way of organizing them. You know, like, um, and there's a lot of people that, uh, I don't know, like, uh, this actually is a project of a personal project that I'm working on that um, uh, we're, and we're going to try to reach out because now we're, uh, and this was one of the most important things about Gabriel winning the, the election against Cast is that uh, we are heading into the 50 years from since the coup happened. Um, and for example, I'm, I'm, I'm working on trying to organize uh, or have a network of, of communication with all the people from the MIR, from the left revolutionary movement, that never came back to Chile. And actually, right now, I, I at my aunt's place in San Diego, that she's not actually my aunt. She's an aunt from the party. Okay. <laughs> so in some extent, I'm, I'm, I'm working towards like rebuilding my MIR family. Yeah, <laughs> and if it were for for me, I I, I will leverage on the embassies to organize people that is abroad, and there is a lot of like in terms of reforms that could be done to expand the civil rights of people that is being abroad. Like for example, if you live in Nebraska in the U.S. and you are Chilean, you have to fly to New York or to L.A. to vote, mm-hmm. which is stupid. You cannot vote by mail. And, and there is a lot of a lot of countries that vote by mail. Like in Spain, if you, if you are abroad, you can vote by mail. You don't go to the embassy to vote. So there are little stuff that can be done. Uh, but in my personal, in terms of my politics, I think like there is the diaspora, the Chilean diaspora. Uh, what we can do, of course, we can organize ourselves and be on top of Chilean news and and organize to vote and maybe to engage in international solidarity with the, for example, with the political prisoners. Uh, the people that is caught in prison by the social revolt, there is a lot of people that is in prison yet. Um, and for example, my aunt here in San Diego, she have uh, a work with a, Chilean of, uh, a network of Chilean people that have been sending money and resources to Chile. Uh, and that happens also. But I think like we, could, we should go beyond that. I think like in the US in particular, we should like uh, go beyond national identities and we should start thinking as a Latin American identity. Mm. Because uh, there is a demographical change that is going to switch the race of this country. Mm. And, and in some extent, the Latin American problem is not bounded to Latin American territories anymore. And, 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 and there is like, a, for example, I have a problem with the, Puerto, the left in Puerto Rico. Why would you want independence? Me too. 
like, 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 like Puerto Rico can't, should can't ask for Vina. Yeah, no, like Puerto Rico should fight to to be an actual state in the U.S. and put another star in the fucking flag. Oh, you know, like, here we go. Now, now start a whole another podcast. Yeah, yeah, we can we can do it. But the point is like, but but for example, I don't see that there is possibilities for that coming from Puerto Rico. But what happens if the Latin American population actually demand that in the U.S. as the, a fear decolonization politics? Uh huh. For example. No, see, you're extremely speaking my fucking language right now. Like, I, I just look at, and once again, we could go, I mean, just talking about statehood in Puerto Rico, we could go on for hours about this, and we will definitely have to have you on another time, Diego, to, to do that. Um, but the last thing I do want to say, because the, the point you're making here is a very critically important one, as far as uniting the, what I would say, you know, Latin working classes within the United States, the Latin American working classes in the United States, right? Just look at Bernie Sanders, right? And we've talked about this on the podcast previously. Some of his largest bases of support came from the Hispanic community. And not just that. Oh. When I look to the primary, right? Nevada, right? We've Nevada. talked about this before. Nevada, Las which Vegas. was his... Exactly. Yeah, which was, yeah the, which unions, was his, the unions, yes. was the, the precarized labor of Latin Americans working in the casinos. Exactly. No, exactly. And once again... Arizona was, also. Arizona also. It, Exactly. And and I even throw, dare I say, I even throw Georgia and to a certain extent Virginia in there as well, because it's these large immigrant populations that have come to states like Georgia and Virginia that have changed them. culture. Like I've seen it my whole life here in, in Virginia, right? The, the way things have changed. But once again, we could go on these threads for a million years. This is an amazing time for Chile, right? And obviously there's going to be more events happening this upcoming year as Boris takes office, right? The following year as people discuss the constitution. And I would love, I know we would love to have you back on in the future to help us digest these events as they happen from a Chilean perspective. Um, but I'll pivot over to you, Leroy, to, to wrap us up. Yeah, one, 100%. And again, we could be here forever talking about, about this, but we have to pick a finishing point and this is a good time as any. Um, but before we close off, Diego, like, if you want to be found, where can people find you and your work and this and any of the stuff you're working on? Um, I guess like people can follow me on Twitter, also can find me in Google Scholar. Uh, some of my work, I have my most of my work there. Uh, but most of my good stuff in English is coming this year. I'm 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 starting to publish my. I'm going to start to try to publish my my good stuff. And also, I, I'm going to have more free time. I expect to, to write some stuff about the Latino question in the U.S. politics. Um, mm. That's why I came to San Diego, actually. Uh, so I, I'm going to be living in the border for a while. Um, and yeah, so I'm going to change my chapter to the DSA here in San Diego uh, oh. or maybe in L.A. So I'm not sure where I'm going to be living for good time. I know good San Diego homies. I can get you connected if you're looking for. San I know Diego. that, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I need to finish my finish grading all the work I have from the fall, and get out of quarantine. Yeah, and get, quite, get quite, actually, and tomorrow is my birthday, guys. So I, I expect a WhatsApp message from you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Happy yeah, birthday! It's, it's, when this episode exactly. comes actually, out, it'll actually, be your birthday. It's your, the, it's your birthday the, here today, so. So in the East Coast, it's my birthday already. As I say, it's just hit midnight. Happy birthday. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Feliz cumpleaños. Anyway, Diego, thanks for coming on. Like your perspective has been invaluable, and um, it, it takes away from just us three being three dickheads talking about Chile, having someone with not only just your personal background, but like your background, like like, like Austin said, being like a red diaper baby from the womb. Like this came, this comes in the genes. So always, always, always good to have that perspective. Um, 
And again, like I said at the top, if you enjoy what we do and support what we do, um, consider showing your solidarity if you can um, on our Patreon, patreon.com slash You have access to everything I mentioned. Um, if you can't, um, it's all good because we're obviously in in these um, impending economic collapse. So it's, it's all understandable. Um, we just, we just uh, appreciate your, your listenership and just you know spread the word and give us a good review wherever you listen to us. Um, but with that said, um, like I said, happy holidays. Hope everyone has had a Merry Christmas. Um, have a happy new year. And we'll definitely, definitely be putting out some some good content in the new year that happens in a couple of days here. So um, wherever you are, love you. Thank you for tuning in and, and following along and keeping along with us. And um, with, any, with that said, hasta la victoria. Thank you so much, Diego. Thank you, guys. Hasta la victoria. Beseremo. Peace. Siempre. Peace.